Hello, hello, hello. It is me, Uncle Tickles, and this is New Dad. I'm really excited for today's episode. Really excited for you guys to hear the interview with the guest. Uh, it's one of my favorites I've done uh, in uh, over the course of the two seasons. Uh, but before we get into that, this is a reminder to make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. If you're a listener, rate and review. Uh, check us out on Patreon. We're over there, and well, you know we're starting to make some bucks, some dollar bucks, as Chef would say. Um, so uh, probably a good time to thank our patrons. Uh, we have Aziz and Ashe over at History of Westeros and Laura Brandos over at Ohio. New Dad thanks you. Also a good time to uh, wish all the dads out there a happy early Father's Day. Uh, you might notice if you watch that I'm wearing my Cubs hat, but in the interview I'm wearing my dude hat, I switched over because... Lita and I are taking the boys over to Wrigley Field uh, tomorrow, which is Friday, um, for Shep and Solo's first game. So head over to the Instagram page. You might be able to catch a couple pics uh, of us at the field. Uh, I'm sure Lita will have the boys looking real cute. And, um, you know, Wrigley Field is one of the most beautiful places on earth. So um, certainly be some good photos coming your way. Um, and also a good time to plug that Instagram page. Um, some of those formalities out of the way. Let's talk about this guest that I'm so excited about. He's a father, an author, hockey fan, and teacher, uh, Keith Gesson. Uh, he has uh, put out two novels um, before his most recent book, which is the one we're going to talk a lot about, Raising Rafi. He covers the first five years of his oldest son's life. Um, I think you'd be able to tell throughout the interview. I, I genuinely love this book. Haven't loved a lot of the parenting books I've read. Um, took a lot of the things I felt or, or struggled to put into words as a dad and laid them out quite beautifully and honestly in a way that, uh, you know, kept having me say, uh, like, yes, yes, I, I, I fucking relate to that, um, you know, or, or that's something that's ex that's happened to me before. Um, you know, uh, I mentioned that quite a bit throughout this interview. Uh, he was uh, a, a great a great interview and very gracious with his time. Uh, Keith, if you're listening, I hope you're happy with how it turned out uh, and would hopefully consider coming back sometime. There's a lot we didn't get to discuss and uh, and a lot more I'd like to kind of dig a little bit more deeper into. And uh, with that being said, I think it's important uh, to note before Prop Cause whisks us away with that amazing theme song of his, uh, that you know, we are all, and by we all, I mean dads like Keith and me who write or drone endlessly on a shitty podcast um, about parenting. Um, you know, we're really standing on the shoulders of giants, and those giants are moms who blogged or wrote about uh, parenting for the last hundred years or so. So shout out to all the moms out there. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Thank you to Keith and all the Tickle Monsters. Uh, Pop cause, you know what to do. Welcome back. 
It is Uncle Tickles here, and you have a new episode of New Dad coming at you. Uh, really excited for today's guest, as we've been uh, promoting uh, earlier in the week. We have Keith Gessen here, the author of Raising Raffi. Um, Keith, really excited to get you on. I had come across your book in an article by The Atlantic, um, snatched it up, started listening to it, and was just shocked by how, how much it resonated with me and how much I found in common with your experience. So thanks for coming on. Uh, tell our audience and all the little tickle monsters out there uh, a little bit more about yourself. Uh, sure. Um, thanks, for, thanks for having me. This is very exciting for me. Um, I, uh, let's see, I was, I, was, uh, I was born in Russia, um, came over to the U.S. when I was little um, in the early 80s and uh, grew up outside of Boston. Um, uh, what else? Now I, um, I moved to New York uh, a little bit after college and I've uh, been a freelance writer for most of, uh, basically most of my life after college. Uh, a few years ago, I started teaching uh, journalism um, full-time as a kind of steady job. Um, uh, actually, after, after uh, Rafi was born, <laughs> I realized I needed a job. Uh, that was a little um, steadier than... Uh, in freelance writing, but I've, I've continued writing. Um, I guess I've published uh, two novels, and this is my first book of uh, nonfiction. You're here because you, you, know, you are a father, uh, most importantly, um, father of two. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about your, your two boys? Uh, yeah, uh, so, so Rafi, about whom, uh, or, or who's the kind of the occasion for, for the book, um, he's, uh, he's now seven, he just turned seven. He's a uh, rambunctious guy, uh, although, although uh, you know, in the last uh, year, he's really kind of um, chilled out quite a bit. And, and uh, actually, in the last couple of months, he learned how to read. So oh, wow. that's been a real, that's been a real <laughs> revelation. I and mean, he just kind of can sit there on the couch and, and read, um, which uh, has been very nice. Um, and his brother, Ilya, is about to turn four. Um, and, uh, you know, that was, that was really challenging when, when Ilya was, an infant and, and Rafi was three. That was the really, that was a tough year. Um, but now, um, you know, it's getting a little easier. Uh, they still, you know, they still fight a lot. Uh, Ilya's a little bigger now, so he can kind of fend for himself a, a lot better than he used to be able to. Um, so that's nice too. Do you notice a lot of like similarities or, or dissimilarities between the two? And, and Oh, they're, they're so different. Um, yeah. I mean, they, uh, they look different. Rafi looks a lot like me. Um, Ilya looks a lot like his mother. Um, but also, they just—you uh, know—Ilya's Ilya's now he's kind of in a in a in a phase of a kind of rebellious phase. But he's been just a very easygoing, um, just a just very easygoing. I mean, he's the second kid, so like he's got less attention, and <laughs> um, and and we've been less obsessed, uh, right. uh, um, you know, over everything to do with him, but. I think just he was just born kind of quieter and and, and um, more self-sufficient and um, and they both you know it, it, it is it is amazing how different they are it's it's shocking. Now before you had your second child, what were your you know your I guess your thoughts? Did you think they would be very similar? Um, were you thinking that they would be dissimilar? Uh, it, are you surprised? Because I found myself the reason I have you are. Our, uh, our listeners know I have two sons, right? Uh, my oldest is about your youngest's age. And, uh, and then I have a, a two-year-old. 
And they, as, as you say, they're just total opposites. And I, I was surprised by how polar opposite they were. I mean, and now as they're starting to get older, they're playing together, you see more similarities, but they're still very, very different people. Um, one is much more apt to allow help. The other one is independent, wants to do everything. Um, and it's the, the second born. And I think much to your point, you know, he's received much less attention from us and, uh, you know, just as a result, uh, kind of a little tougher, uh, you know, all around the edges. Um, yeah. yeah. How do, yeah. I, were you surprised? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I mean, some of it is clearly like structural in the sense of you're just, you know, if you have one kid who, who, who needs a lot of attention, that's just how he, that's just how he rolls. Right. And um, the other kid is just, there's just not going to be enough attention. You know, there's not going to be attention left over him. He's going to have to go and play by himself and he's going to do that. And I mean, one of the things, you know, and um, as, as Ilya has become a bit more of a troublemaker, um, Rafi has become uh, less of a troublemaker. <laughs> and I don't think, I don't think it's an accident. I think the kid, I think they kind of know when you're, not know, but like they kind of, they kind of fill that space. Right. And so when Rafi was having, you know, a lot of trouble, um, you know, especially kind of early in the pandemic when we were doing, we're trying to do Zoom school and um, he was, you know, he was four when the pandemic began and four and a half. And that was really tough. Um, and it just kind of hung back <laughs> and it was like, you know, Rafi's going through some, some, some things and I'm going to let him do that. And I'll, I'll be over here, you know, putting things in my mouth. Um, and, and, and then, you know, and now as, as Rafi's become a bit more, uh, relaxed and kind of is, is reading in on the couch, Ilya will kind of fills that space. So it's never, um, uh, it's never a kind of peaceful, uh, <laughs> but, you know, but it's also usually only one of them really, um, acting up at a time. Nice. Well, that's nice. That's yeah. a nice reprieve. I guess you kind of get. Um, do you do you notice Rafi going into more of like a, a parenting role as as Ilya is starting to act out more? Yeah, I mean, he can. You know, he he can be very um, <laughs> he can be very helpful. Um, sometimes, you know, he's like Ilya. If you don't stop doing, you know, you kind of see your own parenting reflected yeah. <laughs> in a kind of you know, and it's not very. Uh, um, flattering, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, oh yeah, if you don't stop doing that, you can't watch TV for the rest of your life. <laughs> you're like, okay. Uh, you know where he gets that. that. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly where he gets that. I'm like, you don't have the authority to do that. A, right. we yeah. didn't deputize you. B, um, you know, rest of your life, like that's just, you don't escalate to that right away. Right? <laughs> yeah. like, you gotta, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's some steps you gotta go through, but you know, we, we have a procedure, Rafi. Yeah, and, and that um, seems to be, you know, something that, that comes up in the book quite a bit is how Rafi is a reflection of your own parenting. And at times, uh, yeah. you know, I've been taken aback myself by just the honesty and the uh, astuteness of, of kids. Um, you know, one of the anecdotes is, uh, you know, you, you mentioned when he says, you know, Dada, superheroes don't get mad. Or Dada, I love you even when you do bad things to me. And, uh, and, and you know, I've had those moments with, you know, with my own son, you know, Shep, where he's, you know, Dada, you're not being nice. You know, and it's like, yeah. he's right. I'm not, I'm, I'm not being very nice right now. And, and it really kind of cuts you down a level, you know, or takes you down and, and humbles you. Um, um, 
Yeah, I mean, that's from the chapter. I mean, that's, I, you know, to me, that's kind of the key chapter is it, it is about anger and for sure. And, and just kind of what it's like when you get mad and yes, at your little, your little treasure, <laughs> you know, yeah. that you love so much. And, uh, but he's just, uh, and this, this is, you know, that, the, you know, I still get mad, but like the year that I got the most bad was when Ilya was helpless infant and Rafi was a kind of three-year-old, like really at his, most mm-hmm. um, aggressive and aggressive yeah and always trying to trying out new wrestling moves on. yeah so, not yeah. aware of his own strength not aware of his capabilities yeah, yeah. Uh, um it, and, and also you talk about there's like a knowing uh disobedience that's different than earlier right yes i think yeah at around yeah at around you know two they're just you they're just little animals and then at three they you know sometimes they have this look <laughs> on his face like I, I know i shouldn't be doing this yeah. uh what's gonna happen if i do this right and um makes it worse right you get it you get it you, you you're like not only is this a terrible painful annoying but like you know it you know um that i don't want you to do this and you're still doing it um after all i've done for you <laughs> right. Right. so yeah and that was the sort of thing that like um you know that essay got published uh in the new yorker I guess, uh, I don't know, two years ago. I mean, and it was, it was the sort of thing where I was like, as I was writing and I was like, I have not seen this described, you know, especially right. not from like a, a male perspective. I've seen it in some uh, books about being a mother, but, but, but not um, from the father's perspective. And I thought that was, you know, it was so, it was such a big part of my experience and it's yeah. such a big part of the experience of other dads that I talk to is this like is are these moments of anger and when you end up you know like I uh, you know I just I, I, I described two instances of hitting which mm-hmm. I just want to clarify were like pretty mild right it, you know it was like I, I slapped him on the wrist like that was the, the most Correct. conscious um kind of putting hands on Rafi was like he was really messing with brother in a way that I thought was dangerous, wouldn't stop. And I slapped him on the wrist. Um, so it was like a literal, a literal, literal slap on the wrist. But like right. there have been other times where I like would grab him, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I think everybody does that. Like and you're like, and but grab him like roughly, you know, in a way yeah. that was not I- ideal. <laughs> right. And, and yeah. And when I get together with the other dads, we kind of talk about this and like it's uh it's not great you use the term in a different context but it's like as a parent you want some justice you know so it's like <laughs> yes, yes. so you can't hit your kid but you can yeah. lift them up very abruptly and aggressively mm-hmm. so he knows you mean business um and and then there's that uh immediate guilt that sets in afterwards right that yeah. a, a lot of us deal with and 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 you talk about honestly and uh and in a relatable way in the book too but yeah, just to go back to what you you know you, you began with. I mean, I I think those 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 things that he said were very when I heard them and and um, uh, when yeah, we would say you're not a nice data, <laughs> you know. And I'd be like, oh my god, he's right. I'm not a nice data. I'm really failing. And then Ilya turned three. Um, had, you know, again, so much we had such an easier time with him, and suddenly <sighs> he starts saying like the same stuff. Dad, I don't like you. You're not nice. And I was like, oh, this is just stuff they say. Right. <laughs> I was taking it way too personally. I was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it really is. You take it a lot less personally the second time around. And and I mean, it, and you do become a better parent in that way. You're like, oh, this is just a 
you know, and it's going to pass. He's going to stop saying stuff like this and you know he's and he's going to stop acting like this and but the first time you know the first time you go through it it's really tough oh yeah oh yeah and and uh, you know you mentioned in the book that you know there's a there's a period right you are basically spending a lot more time with Rafi because Mm -hmm. your wife Mm -hmm. is keeping this the the newborn alive and so you know and during this time, there's as you spend more time, there's just more, I guess, uh, more opportunity for conflict, right? And, mm-hmm. and not only that, but then Rafi is missing his mother and wants his mom, you know? And so yeah. th- that's something I relate to very much, you know, because uh, when the pandemic happened, uh, my job became obsolete. I was in uh, large events and trade shows, so I became a stay-at-home dad. Uh, mm-hmm. my, my wife works in the house. She's actually <laughs> sitting right next to me right here. Um, she's still working from home and, uh, and so, you know, we're in a home, in home, much, much larger than a a 900 square foot apartment that you guys were in during the pandemic. But, um, um, and, and you, you, you guys were able to get a little more space, but as you said, that doesn't necessarily fix things. You know, they don't, they know their mother's upstairs. And when I have to become the disciplinarian, what they want is their mother and they're missing their mom and they know she's there. So, uh, sounded like a very similar relatable thing. Here you are with Rafi. He knows mom's just in the room next door. Um, and, and your job essentially is to keep them away from each other. You know? and, and yeah, I mean, that, that, like, I got so many of our conflicts um, around that age were like, I was like the, you know, bodyguard or whatever for like the door yeah. <laughs> to, to, to mommy and, and um, mama, he calls her. And, yeah. and yeah, that, I mean, it's just a particularly kind of, psychologically taxing task right it's not just like don't touch that don't touch that hot oven it's like you can't go to mommy and I'm the one who's going to prevent you right and like he already thinks I'm the (laughs) I'm the one who's you know kind of uh, restricting access to mama and now I'm like literally doing this and yeah it's that was horrible but and and have to give you credit because um you know you do something that I think a lot of fathers and parents in general don't do when uh when you hit a point where you're you know kind of out of you know your own depth as a parent and you didn't know what to do and you found yourself questioning you know am I a good dad or you know he's right I'm not you went to the experts and you read books and you read a lot of books it sounds like on parenting and behaviorism um and, and I found some of your insight on those you know illuminating because these are things that you know we're currently going through with our kids um you know, as far as, uh, you know, it, the amount of parenting information there is out there and how conflicting it can all be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and mm-hmm. th- you don't necessarily, uh, um, you, you know, address that uh, idea, but I think it's very, it, it's, it's there, it's a thread throughout the book, right? Yeah, I mean, somebody, somebody asked me the other day whether I was reading these books, um, because I knew I was writing my own book and I wanted to write about them. And I was like, no, 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 I was, des- I was desperate. You know, I really yeah. was trying to get some, some handle on the situation and try to figure out like, what can I do? And, and, you know, and the thing is like, I end up uh, being somewhat critical of all these books, not, not all of them, but a lot of them, because they, you know, they do have these, they, each of them kind of presents a solution. They're like, right. this is the solution to your problem. And and I found in every case, very, I found myself very earnestly, um, 
you know, being like, I'm going to use this solution <laughs> and <laughs> right. it's going to solve my problem. It says so in the book and it yeah. describes these cases that are a lot like mine, you know, and then you find yourself, I mean, the, the kind of um, realization I came to later was, well, I'll just go through it in order. I, yeah. I found myself, you know, I would do some of these things and they didn't work, right? Or I would try to, you know, I would do them one day and then I would forget to do them the next day. So consistent, <laughs> right? Um, or I just found I just couldn't do it. I just like, yeah. you know, the, the the books that I found most appealing, you know, there's this kind of lineage of books, but the most famous, um, at least uh, as far as I can tell, most, you know, it's uh, How to Talk So Your Kids Will Listen, How to Listen So Your Kids Will Talk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a book from the 80s and there's been various kind of iterations of that idea uh, before and after, but it's, you know, it's like being empathetic, like mirroring, um, and that stuff does work. And I have employed it occasionally with success, um, not with Rafi, but with his brother, <laughs> right? <laughs> it kind of just didn't work with Rafi. Like he just kind of saw right through it. Um, you know, he's like, you're not making my problem going away, but just by repeating what I said, or just by like, acknowledge- you know, I have this problem. I don't, uh, you acknowledging the problem isn't helping you know, right. I still want to see mama, right? Yeah. You're still not letting me into the bedroom. Um, exactly. And, you know, and, but also I just found I wasn't that, I just couldn't do it on a consistent yeah. basis. Uh, I couldn't listen, you know, I like, I just, I had that. And, and <laughs> you know, and the other, the other kind of approach, the behaviorist approach where you just ignore stuff, you mm-hmm. know, I also found very appealing. I'm like, oh, I, I'm, I just should be like the stoic. Right. who, you know, no matter what my kid does, I'll be like, mm-hmm. yep, you just did that. <laughs> and it's fine. And like, I, I couldn't do that either. Right? right. And I would, and I would feel very disappointed. You know, I'd be like, ah, like, why can't I do it? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end, I like come to this realization that it's just like, I'm, I'm me. And there, you know, I can read all the books I want, but I'm going to like, basically remain myself. And, the task before me is to be the kind of best version of that self, right? Without trying to, you know, just turn into some completely different person. Yeah. And, and that was a, a kind of wisdom. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, I imagine it's somewhat yeah. freeing. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it was, yeah, it, I was like, okay, this is me. I like, I yell, I, I, <laughs> I should yell less, but like at a certain point I'm going to yell. And like the kids, they know that you know, and, yeah. and they can kind of, they can work with that, right? Like they, they I'm, I'm predictable. They, you know, by the way, it's not like, oh no, dad is yelling. We, we must stop what we're doing. I like just last night they were being, they were both being like, they were like hitting each other and then they were hitting <laughs> me. And I was, I started yelling. It didn't help at all. You know, right. so, it's, so as like a tyrant uh, of our household, I'm not a very effective one, but like, <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I just got like, yeah, I'm like, all right, I, I, my dad, you know, and, and, and this is in the last chapter called Bear Dad, where like, mm-hmm. I think about how I was raised and my dad, um, you know, hardly a kind of authoritarian or tyrannical, but he was this kind of uh, guy who grew up in the Soviet Union um you know not a big talker um you know and a bit of a you know and he could raise his voice huh? uh and like that's how i grew up and i i i love the guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and i'm not him and like um we're different but that's that's kind of how i think ads should 
kind of be, you know, or like, yeah. that's okay for us to be a little bit that way, uh, both right. in reason. So yeah, coming, I, it, it comes, there's this, uh, as you know, there's this epiphany at the playground where yeah. <laughs> I see a dad who's, who's like so empathetic and so mirroring and, and just like his daughter refuses to leave the playground and it takes them an inordinate amount of time to leave the playground. <laughs> and I am like, and I've just, and I've just read this book about cross-cultural parenting, which is, you know, looks at the different ways parents, you know, do yes. things in different, in different places. The argument of that book, you know, you have these books that are, that are like, oh, in France, they parent better or, you know, the Tiger Mom book, you know, Chinese parents are the, are the, yeah. the best parents, right? And, and every right. few years, there's one of these books, German parents, Dutch parents, yeah. um, uh, you know, Mayan parents, right? <laughs> Ancient Maya culture. And, and, all, and they, all, they all make you feel bad. Right. Um, you're like, ah, oh, why can't I parent like a French person? And actually, mm-hmm. and the answer is because you don't have free childcare, like the, like free high quality childcare. You know, your grandparents don't live down the street or in the, or on their like French estate, you know, outside of Paris that you can drop your kids <laughs> off, uh, with them for two weeks. Like, there's just all these like structural facts of life. Yeah. Um, and and that's the argument of that book. That that book says you know it looks at all these countries different parenting practices and and it it's it says look these they're not better or worse they are embedded in the histories and cultures of those places and you can't just recreate them you know yeah. in brooklyn new york or wherever you know and um and that was very helpful i'm like okay i am a russian guy <laughs> you know who grew up in the u.s who grew up outside of boston i like hockey um and you know and and that's and i live in brooklyn new york you know in 2000 now in 2022 and like that's that's my situation and um i need to work with that particular situation i i think that's kind of a great outlook and that's something that any parent can can take and probably adapt and put it and operate in their life um (laughs) yeah no for sure i i mean i really do i think i i I mean, I'm, I'm not so uh, naive to think that, uh, like, hey, this book just appeals to me because I'm, I imagine you hope it appeals to a ton of people, right? <laughs> a, a lot of people to buy it. But it, it was it was striking how much of, uh, of what I was reading, I either thought like I could relate to um, or was just something I can apply or this is this is not, not a eureka moment, but finally something that sounds more like uh, something I can wrap my head around. Because as you're saying, mm-hmm. some of the stuff just it seems like it, you're set up to fail uh, if you're trying to recreate, like you said, 1928 Paris, France and a parenting situation like that, you, you just can't do it. And, uh, and like you said, current day, insert your city now. Um, you, you talk quite a bit in the book about, you know, you grew up or you're, I guess you came here when you were six, right? Mm-hmm. From Russia. So you, you spent your early childhood in Russia. Um, and, and I found it interesting how, you know, as a kid, uh, that uh, that connection to Russia kind of ebbs and flows, right? Uh, it seems like there was a point where you you, you know you you go the, the Americanized route, um, and then your mother passes away, and I think that was a catalyst to feel connected to the Russian roots again. Uh, is, is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, I I, I was kind of um, you know when you're especially when you're uh, so little when it, like at the the cutoff point for for having an accent. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're Russian, and it kind of depends on the language, but if Russian, it's like eight or nine, you know, and after that, you just 
if you if you came after that, you're just gonna have an accident. Yeah. And and everybody will always kind of and it will always mark you off a little bit. But when you're under that age, um, you won't. So you can really just kind of like slide right in and <laughs> um, and assimilate, you know. And that was certainly, I certainly took that to be our mission when we came here. Right, we left the Soviet Union. We didn't like it there. <laughs> right. Uh, we had no we had no plans to go back. So um, yeah, I very much thought, okay, we're going to assimilate, and I am the best positioned person in my family to do that because I was the littlest. Um, I had no accent. I had no. Mm-hmm kind of no baggage um and you know on the other hand right uh my parents you know they they hated they kind of hated russia but they loved russian culture and the russian language and they really did want me to to know russian and they made sure i had russian lessons and and my mom in particular she was a literary critic and she was kind of the person in our family who who really kind of kept us um, tethered to Russian culture in all these ways. Um, and, you know, and all my parents' friends were Russian. So right. we were in this like Russian kind of island, you know, inside the U.S., right? Um, uh, and uh, yeah, and when she, and I, she died when I was uh, 17, when I was, in, when I was in high school. So, so that was a kind of moment where I really had to decide like, okay, if I don't make a conscious effort um, to sort of stay in touch with this culture, I, it will it will dis, it will dissipate, you know, yeah. because there this person who who was doing the work um, is gone, and and then I started college, and 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 that was I was like, okay, uh, maybe I'll study Russian for a little bit, you know, and then mm-hmm. that, you know, and and so so when I was talking earlier about being a freelance writer, a lot of that work has been in Russia or about Russia. Um, I've spent a lot of time there. I've traveled there a lot. Um, you just re- came back from Ukraine recently, right? I did. Yeah, I was there Two in months uh, ago. March. Yeah, um, you know, I actually my second book, A Terrible Country, is about um, kind of a, um, a fictionalized account of a year that I spent with my grandmother um, in Moscow in um, 2008. Um, so yeah, so I've written a ton about Russia. I'm really it's meant a, a great deal to me um, to have that connection and to have kept it up. And then when, you know, this is, this is kind of one of these interesting questions that you are faced with as a parent, um, mm-hmm. you have to decide, you're like, okay, what about the things that I do and like to do or that have been important to me? Um, am I going to try to pass on to my kid? Cause they don't, you know, some things are just gonna like, the stuff we talked about that's kind of like very kind of <laughs> hard to eradicate like the yeah you know like, like the yelling or the kind of yeah. you know my, <laughs> my kind of slightly russian ideas about discipline and like doing your homework for example um yeah. those are those are gonna you're gonna pass those on whether you like it or not but yeah. um you know other things like so the so the, the kind of two things um that have meant a ton of, to me in my life are, are russian and and hockey as i mentioned earlier and um I have found both of them to be a real challenge. Um, you know, hockey is a, is a game that's not played a lot in New York. You have to really go out of your way um, to, to find, you know, to find ice time. And mm-hmm. then Russian, um, you know, my wife is not Russian. <laughs> and we, we actually, you know, there's a ton of Russians in Brooklyn, but they're in a different part of Brooklyn. <laughs> so right. where we live, you know, and so, um, and then I had these, you know, I had these kind of mixed feelings about it in the same, sort of in the same way that my parents did, but, but more, um, I guess a more 
dangerously or for, for you know for my connection to Russia because it's like okay like my parents couldn't help being Russian and, they, right. and for them speaking Russian to me was just obvious because uh, you know we'd always spoken Russian and um, you know they didn't <laughs> see any reason to change that once we came here and they were much right. more comfortable in Russian than they were in English whereas I am more comfortable in English. Um, so kind of deciding to speak Russian to Rappi was a very deliberate choice. And I kind of, you know, made it, you know, I just kind of thought it would be interesting to start when he was little. And then I, once I started and I found that he was like understanding me, um, <laughs> then I was like, oh, I'm teaching him Russian. And then I was like, okay, what's that going to lead to? Like, is he actually going to go to Russia? Like, is that something I want? <laughs> you know, and this is, I, it, you know, this was a few years ago. Right. Um, um, but it's gotten, obviously it's gotten even worse. Right, um, right. Since February 24th. I mean, we were, you know, the way to, you know, one of the things that I talk about in that chapter is I found this amazing um, book from the 1940s by this German linguist who, um, it's this, it turned out to be this sort of classic account of bilingualism, but he was, he was a German linguist who emigrated to the US, married a, um, an American woman, and then they had a daughter, Hildegard, and he's like, I'm going to teach her German, and even though my wife doesn't know German, so, and it's, and he kept this painstaking diary, um, which he then, because he was a linguist, like, analyzed, yeah. um, you know, for, and, you know, for the first two years of her life. And it was just, you know, some of it's very technical. He, he <laughs> describes the opening um, paragraph of the book is this incredible paragraph where he does like linguistic notation for infant, you know, screaming. Imitations, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, um, but then, you know, then she starts, you know, learning language and, you know, some words she learns in English, some words she learns in German. He's very frustrated. Like when his friends come over, she answers them in English, even though they, they're German speakers, they switch over to English. Right. He's very frustrated. I have the same experience right. when I, you know, when my family interacts, you know, they're Russian speakers, but they, of course they also speak English. Uh, when they interact with Rafi, he answers them in English. So they switch over to English. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. You gotta speak, <laughs> keep speaking Russian to him. So yeah. um, anyway, so I found that book and it was so interesting. Um, but this, you know, ultimately, um, in that book, the kind of joke or kind of a dark joke, but like he he has all these struggles. Um, they live in, I think they live in Chicago. Um, you know, he has all these struggles te teaching her German. Then um, they go, they finally go to Germany for a summer mm -hmm. in 1935. And so it's Nazi Germany. Yeah. And, um, you know, and he's, he's no Nazi and he like, he's kind of freaked out by the whole situation, but, but you know, his dad is there and his sister's there. And he leaves um, and he has to go work. He and his wife are going on this kind of work trip and they leave Hildegard with her relatives and who don't speak English. And they come back and she's just speaking German. And he's like, it's it's this miracle, you know, because, um, you know, ultimately the way you, you teach a language is you, you immerse. immerse. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh man, if like he can go to Hitler's Germany, like, surely I can go to Putin's Russia. <laughs> and, and I mean, but, well, but maybe not because I mean, we were, we were going to go this summer, we got visas and then the invasion happened and I, we're not going to go. Right. Um, so yeah. So anyway, so, so I mean that for me, that was the first essay I wrote and um, you know, it was pretty specific. 
Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like a very specific situation. Although after I published it, I got all these emails from all, you know, all sorts of people who were in all these interesting linguistic situations, you know, like they yeah. were um, a German speaker who lives in Sweden, um, but actually he's from Turkey. But he's, <laughs> he's talking German to his daughter in Sweden. I, anyway, it was, just, it was fascinating. And, um, but it made me, it made me think of, you're like, okay, you, you, you make these decisions about what you're going to pursue with your kid, but they have these kind of like consequences. Yeah. These ripples. Online. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and uh, it's interesting to think about them and, and yeah, for sure. they will, they will have, you know, and so now Rafi and Ilya both, like they, I still speak Russian to them. Um, they still answer in English, but Rafi's comprehension um is like he knows a lot of Russian, you know, yeah. he understands Russian. Um, so that's pretty cool. Like, and you know, I, I hope I hope Russia changes. Sure. Um, and it has changed in the past. And when it does, I hope we can go there. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know, one of the anecdotes i uh, I really enjoyed from the book was just uh, you know, at the beginning, uh, it sounds like part of the reason you started speaking, uh, you know, uh, you, you spoke, you know, there's obviously a conscious decision. You want them to have this connection, but also it's a, it's a language that's surprisingly rich in endearments. And yeah, so that, yeah. I, I found that to be very, and you kind of yeah, go through. Yeah, it's very, I yeah. mean, you know, and, and I'm sure it was just, it was the language that, that I was spoken to as a kid. And yeah, um, yeah I kind of like found, I had this, um, you know, kind of storehouse of, of little endearments for, for, for Rafi as he, you know, as he was growing up and um, when he was very little and they just seemed very natural to me. Um, so that was a really nice, that was kind of the nice part about um, speaking Russian to him. Well, reading that made me, uh, I reached out to, uh, you know, my, uh, my grandma came, didn't come here from Greece. Her parents came here from Greece. Um, but she was in a Greek speaking uh, household and uh, tried to get us to speak more. And there was a term of endearment that I, I knew I could say, I could repeat it, but I didn't know how it was spelled. So I reached out to, on Reddit, to this uh, Greek speaking community and was like, hey, I don't know what this word is. And turns out it, it basically meant like dummy. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was like a, but they're like, no, no, no. It's like, a, like it, grandmas do say, say it. it's like, hey, come here, dummy. You know, like, it's like, it's, it's a cute thing. Like, uh, <laughs> like how like in some uh, Latin or Spanish culture is like a gordo is kind of like a term of endearment, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, might, might literally translate to like fat. So um, the other thing I found interesting in the, in the when you're talking about that was how the studies about uh, you know being bilingual have changed over time. Where at once it was looked at as a detriment, and then it was no, 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 no. It's uh, you know they test better, and then it was switched back again, and that study was debunked. Um, they, just again, as someone who uh, you know my father-in-law speaks Spanish, my uh, my mother-in-law is bilingual, um, and we, me and my wife have talked about it, and she laments that her parents didn't teach her Spanish. Um, and now, you know, it's like, we would love for our kids. And that's one of the things when we're looking at daycares or schools that we find, uh, appealing, right. If they are bilingual, they do teach them. That's something what, you know, we, we like. Yeah. yeah so I, I mean, all, all that was just really fascinating to me. And I just, again, found it relatable and informative. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, one of the things, um, sometimes you see, this was actually, I, this was in that, um, bringing up baby, which is a, a book about French parenting, which is a, you know, a really ex extremely well done book. Um, but it does this thing that a lot of kind of journalistic writing about um, parenting will do, which is it kind of it cites the so-called research 
it says, well, the research support what the French do with their kids in, in you know, by giving them cheese early on or something like that. Um, and, and, and what you learn actually, once you kind of look into this, into any, just about any aspect of um, child rearing research is there is always counter research, <laughs> you know, and, and yep. there's like almost no settled, uh, there are very few things um, that are settled where the research says one particular thing. There is, you know, any, any you look up a study and it's like, we have shown, yeah, that bilingualism is good for you. And then 10 years later, somebody comes along and they're like, that study was bullshit. That was yeah. a flawed study design. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I tried to reproduce it with this different population. It's not true. You know, and, right. um, you know, I, I, I say in the book, I think sleep, actually sleep training yeah. is one of the few things that has a kind of evidentiary basis in the sense of like, it, you know, um, it has, you know, it works. <laughs> kids, kids sleep better. Yeah. Um, by the age of six, there's no uh, um, noticeable there, De- detriment. Detriment in terms of their attachment to their parents, right? right? Um, and the only and the, the parents only, sleep better. They're happier. And, the, and the, yes, the, the one the one thing that you know, and like they, it's hard to measure like infant uh, happiness, right? But right, right. Ma- maternal happiness can be measured <laughs> and it improves noticeably because mom sleeps better um, when the kid is sleep trained. Was that the book? Was that the book where you had talked about uh, you would realize you did you had done everything wrong and you were just thrilled? <laughs> no, that was with uh, discipline, I think. Oh, discipline. <laughs> yeah, no, we definitely did everything wrong with, with the sleep training. I think we tried to like, do a compromise, <laughs> which is the worst of both worlds. You know, we're like somewhere in maybe somewhere in between zero sleep training and sleep training, and actually somewhere in between it equals zero sleep training. Um, but uh, you know, so even though that's actually like, uh, you know, it's kind of settled like that it works. Right. It's still controversial. There are still people who will say you shouldn't do this because, you know, other cultures don't do it it's cruel. Like just even if, even if science says it works, it's still cruel, you know? And so like right. there are people who, who don't who think you shouldn't do sleep training. And yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a kind of like no settled answer to any question. Right. And that is, uh, to me, that was kind of liberating. <laughs> You're like, okay, bilingual, and bilingualism is a good example, but it's something that everybody thinks is good for your neural pathways. That has really not been um, confirmed nor denied. Yeah, I, I mean, there, there was a study that that said it was, and then there was one a few years later that was like, nah, I don't think so. And um, you know, maybe it is, but it, 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 what it does is it kind of puts it back in in your court as a parent. Right. You know, yeah. you're like, okay, I'm not going to do this because I think it's good for the neural pathways. I'm going to do this because I want to for, for right. whatever reason. I want my kid to learn Russian. I want yeah. you know, Spanish. I think is, you know. A, Spanish is actually useful. I would love, I mean, like, sure. I wouldn't have all these, I wouldn't have all these qualms about Spanish. Like that's, that's amazing, right? right. You can, so much, so many people in this country speak Spanish. That would be fantastic. Russian is a lot less useful. Well, and, and you talk about, uh, as you start to, as you start to teach Rafi Russian, um, and he starts, and you start to realize he understands it. It also mm-hmm. opens this door, uh, you know, now you guys have a secret language, but it also mm-hmm. allows you to kind of uh, maybe, uh, yell at them a little bit in public <laughs> like in places you normally wouldn't right yeah i mean that's something that he pointed out <laughs> right he points it out again the yeah. best student observation says, of children yes 
yes, one of his astute observations, he said, yes, that's, uh, this is kind of at the end of the book. He's like, if, if, uh, if people would understand what you were saying, they would think you weren't being very nice. Um, <laughs> which, you know, like all I was saying was like, stop hitting your brother or something. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't any, I, um, <clears throat> but yeah, a little, you know, sometimes, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it does, it does give you a little bit of, uh, wiggle room. Like I, I, I don't, I don't think I say anything to Rafi that's like out of bounds that I would want other people to hear, but like, well, I don't know, maybe I do. Um, yeah. It does, you know, it is a, it is a kind of, um, you know, I mean, on the other hand, you know, something that, something we haven't talked about, but, but I think it's true. It's like, you know, I, I mean, the premise of the book, just to kind of step back a little bit, right? mm-hmm. the premise of the book is, and I think this is also the premise of your podcast, is that um, we are this kind of generation, and, I, and I, you know, I'm older than you, but like our kids are close in age. Like it's, it's by generation, it's kind of more when our kids were born, right, yeah. than, than how old we are. But, um, but it, it has something to do with how old we are too. Um, that uh, like for, for a lot of reasons, you know, the workplace has changed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the nature of work where we work from home has changed, mm-hmm. right? Cultural expectations have changed. Okay. We're just doing- and Gender roles? Gender, yeah. I mean, yeah. so we are doing, um, like dads are expected and are doing more parenting yeah. than our dads, right? And I don't know what your household is like, but like, you know, I describe. I describe in, in the in the beginning of the book. I described having this conversation with my dad, who you know I think was a very involved dad. Took me to all right. the sports games and everything. Uh, was very interested in what I was doing. But I was I um I had interviewed my second grade teacher for one of the one of the chapters. I, I had this wonderful second grade teacher. And during the pandemic, I, I had this like crisis about Rafi's education. I really wanted to talk to her. And and then I had that conversation with her. And then I talked to my dad a few days later. And I was like, guess who I talked to? <laughs> Ms. Lynch. And he's like, who? And I'm like, my second grade teacher, Ms. Lynch. And he's like, oh, I don't know who that is. And I was like, well, you you must have met her you know, at, at, a, at a parent-teacher conference. And he just laughed. He's like, no, I, I was at work. And I was like, you know, because my dad would like, you know, he would get up in the morning, he would go to work and he would come home in the evening and that was his life. And, yeah. um, and he, and he was a computer programmer. He wasn't like, work at a factory. Construction, like, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was a very rigid job. And just like the, but even more so like the idea of attending a parent teacher conference to him was just funny. It was like a foreign, <laughs> yeah, a foreign concept. He's like, why would I do that? You know, like yeah. that your mother did that. And yeah. to, whereas to me, and I don't know, I'm sure it sounds like it's the same for you. Like for sure. That's a, a major event, right? Yeah. yeah. Talking to your kid's teacher <laughs> and being like, what's he like? Like, what's he do? Who's he oh, friends yeah. with? Right. For sure. Um, I wouldn't miss that. Yeah. You'd be crazy. You wouldn't, you couldn't get no. me to miss that. Right. No, that's so, where you get all the juice. Yes, <laughs> you like you live off that for months. You're like, for sure. she said this. Yeah. Why do you think he does that? Anyway, so uh, so that really struck me. I was like, huh? And really, like, I'm consciously like, I certainly didn't start the book being like, I am a new dad. You know, right. I am a general this new generation of dads. But like, after that conversation, I was like, ah, you know, yeah, my dad just didn't. He didn't have this. Like, he didn't think about this stuff. He wasn't involved in this stuff in the same way. And then, like, looking around at my you know, my dads that I know, like, we're all kind of like this, like, we're yeah. all involved. Um, you're, 
you are a level above <laughs> in the hierarchy of dads because you like are stay at home. You're actually doing it. You're staying yeah. home, right? Yeah, yeah, full time. You know, yeah. um, that's like the next level to which, yeah. you know, I somewhat aspire. But like, you know, I, I much respect. I, I give well, you, well <laughs> you know, don't don't give too much because we're actually working our way towards uh, like getting away from that. Just because we've okay. had all this yeah. time with me, um, you know, as and and I think we've had just the the perfect, I mean, we really lucked out because, um, you know, as things are starting to open up now and people are feeling safer, um, it's at the point where I think, you know, both of them need to go out of the nest a little bit. You know, Mm -hmm. we actually have them in a daycare two days a week now. It's been a, that's only been a couple of weeks, but uh, you know, it's been a struggle. And again, just, I was listening to your chapter, uh, you know, where you're talking about doddling and Rafi doddling and just <laughs> yeah. how, how that was one of the things that, you know, kind of produced anger in you, um, you know, and I'm listening to this as, you know, my, my oldest is, you know, just put on like a whole, I don't want to go to school. I don't like school. I don't, you know, he's very resistant. The drop-off, he cries, you know, it, it's, and, it, and, you know, the first drop-off for me, um, I'll, I'll probably have talked about this a little bit in the, um, in the intro, but, um, you know, you kind of talk about your first day with Asia, who was the babysitter mm, mm-hmm, and, you know, just yeah. going away for three hours and that being two hours of worry and one hour of work, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and, you know, for us, I mean, it was, you know, and, and also the other thing I relate to very much, uh, you know, not to get too off, not to jump around too much, but, uh, you know, while it's all occurring to me, I don't want to forget, um, you talk about this, you know, the battle before daycare and then dropping them off and then all day long, you're thinking, you know, you're looking at pictures, you're pining over the kid. You, you, yeah, it's yeah. all the warm, gushy feelings. And then all of a sudden they come back and you're thinking like, oh, like everything's going to be different. And then they come back and you fall right back into your patterns, yeah. which is something I'm relating to and finding, you know, yeah. uh, myself yeah. doing. But um, yeah, that first, that first, I mean, that first drop off at daycare, like whether it's, whether they're tiny or, or older, I mean, um, that's hard. <laughs> well, and Shep was Shep, my oldest, was in daycare before the uh, pandemic. Um, so, but he came out in eighteen months, and for the past three years, yeah. it's just been wow. the two. You know, it's been the two wow. of us. So that's intense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I have to say, I'm a big, big fan of daycare. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it's a, it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful yeah. for us. Yeah. I think, it's, and it's been good for them too. It really has been, as, as uh, even though the transitions have been tough. Yeah, I, I actually, I just want, I wanted to finish. Um, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, but I mean, you know, so like, yeah, they're the, the this kind of stay-at-home dads. That's like a super dad, right? But like, <laughs> um, but then there's kind of regular dad. I think of of our generation, which is not a stay-at-home dad, but like a dad who's just way more involved than our dads were, and. And yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't seen that described, you know, I really had like, and there's this kind of like, um, I talk about it at the beginning, you know, there's kind of like dumb dad, actually, you know, and which there, I think there's these guys on, on uh, Twitter who make these like dumb dad videos, which I think <laughs> they're actually very funny. I'll um, check it out. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, but, and, and so, yeah, much respect to the dumb dad guys, but like, um, but kind of, you know, yeah, regular dad is doing his best, not as good a parent as his spouse, but like, trying his best you know and like involved like that's I guess that's where I put myself and and I I think that's a that's kind of a new phenomenon um for sure and and I thought it was worth yeah I thought it was worth describing your wife who's also a wonderful writer uh called you the Christopher Columbus of mommy blogging (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was a very wonderful tongue-in-cheek uh way, way to refer to this 
she's very funny. Yes, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely true. It's like, um, I mean, I think uh, there was a, there's an aspect of this book where, you know, some things you you um, it's helpful to be ignorant <laughs> in certain in certain you know in, in certain yeah. like creative endeavors um, to to not know everything that's out there because then you're like oh this has been done already yeah um, can be can be kind of no um, ignorance certainly is bliss right <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it, it can be debilitating right you're like oh I, why would I launch on this so you know some I I'd already kind of started writing these essays. Um, you know, when I started reading some, you know, there's just, uh, you know, Rachel Cusk's book, um, A Life's Work on Motherhood's Really Excellent, um, uh, a book by Megan Stack, which I had read actually before I started reading these called uh, Women's Work, which is about, um, you know, kind of having, uh, being a foreign correspondent and then quitting that job basically to, to write and take care of her kids, um, but also, but, but remaining abroad, in China, uh, India, and I think Singapore, um, and just the kind of ethics uh, of, you know, hiring a full-time nanny so that you can, you know, get your writing done. She kind of explores that. It's a really good book. It's called uh, Women's Work by Megan Stack. It's amazing. Um, Megan O'Connell, and now we we have everything. I mean, so anyway, there's a ton of um, literature by women um, yeah. about these subjects that is fantastic. And, um, you know, and some of it I didn't know about when I started writing. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of it that I still don't know about. Um, you know, so so uh, there was, a, you know, a bit of that aspect of like coming to this material really fresh. <laughs> um, but, but also, as I say, like in the book, you know, I, um, and, and this is true, uh, I, you know, I think it's true of a lot of men, it's certainly true in my case. Like I didn't really spend a lot of time thinking about this before I became no. a parent, you know, and my wife did. She really did, and like she had, she had thought about it. She read about it. She was really well prepared, and for me, I was not. And um, you know, and that's not a ref, like a a positive reflection on my character by any means. Right. But but it's a it's a fact, and I and I don't think I'm the only dad who's like that. No, for sure. I mean, that's <laughs> a, a, another part of the book I related to, and, and yeah. actually, want it made me want to ask you this question because. Uh, I, I was surprised. I think my wife was also surprised um, just by like my, I, I think we both thought I would be more connected during the pregnancy stage, you know? Mm-hmm. So when, so when your wife was pregnant during the pregnancy stage, you guys hadn't uh, come up with the name Rafi, but you guys were calling the baby Yuri. So did you feel yeah. very connected to Yuri? Was that something or? <laughs> um, um... Yeah, I mean that's interesting that you say that. Yeah, I, I did not because it's 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 so it was so happening to Emily, right? And I was yeah. like, oh my god! I mean, I I uh, you know I, I I was like, oh you know I, was, I tried to be nice and supportive, but it was just this thing that was happening inside of her and it was happening to her, and it was not happening to me. And it was very abstract for me. It was re- I mean, yeah. like, I think that was the period that we were most, um, I mean, I do think, I, I think once, I think it was once he was born, there's, there was also some element of that where they had such an intense bond mm-hmm. and she was breastfeeding and she was, you know, she was the one who could make whatever ailed him go away. Right. Um, and I was not. So like that, and as, you know, as time goes on, you know, still, you know, 
prefers his mother. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but like the kind of gap between us, you know, with every day, it's just Close, narrow yeah. and narrow. Yeah. But I think the period of the pregnancy was the most intense where it was like, she was in such discomfort, um, you know, her body, you know, there was, she was literally growing, you know, wrathy inside of her body. Yeah. And I was doing nothing. nothing yeah, organs zero. are moving around and being pushed around. <laughs> yeah, I, yes. The thing is, it's like, to me, uh, uh, you know, I, it's like taking mushrooms or hallucinogenic where like it can't be no one can describe that to you it's a personal experience and it's like something i'll never be able to experience you know like yeah. the, the pregnancy aspect uh you know it's like i just will never have that and as you know a bystander it was just so you know i thought i would just be more of like the oh let's feel, but i you know i don't know it was <laughs> i you know we were both surprised by it um yeah yeah i mean that's interesting i guess like and you know when when we were you know, I haven't seen, I, you know, I, I'm not, I haven't prepared like a, I don't have a fully formulated thought about this, but it does strike me that some of these expectations where we're like, we're not going to be like our dads. We're going to be right. so much yes. more involved and we're going to be so much more connected. And there's like some things that that's eh, just not going to happen. And, yeah. and if we were, and if we were claiming that like, we were also experiencing the pregnancy, we'd be lying. Right. It'd be, yeah. It'd be disgenuine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, I have seen guys do that and I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you don't look pregnant to me, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's like, and I guess I would say, uh, let's, you know, let's, let's think about the things that, yeah, that, that we can, we can be better at as, as dads. Right. And then there's going to be things where we're just not going to be able to do them ever. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. Well, and it goes back to your, I, I think one of, you know, the, the main themes, or, or at least what I think should be one of the main takeaways, which is like, you have to be the best parent that, that you're like within yourself, right? Like you have to, you have to have a self-awareness of who you are and understand whether or not you're capable of certain things um, and, and kind of work from that understanding outwardly. Um, yeah, and, and I think, I think that, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that is um, confusing is that it's such a radical transformation Right, especially like I was 40 when yeah. Rafi was born. So I like, I was pretty set in my ways. <laughs> and so, so this was a total revolution in my life, right? The pregnancy was not, I mean, that pregnancy, as I say in the book, practically nothing had changed for me. I was yeah. playing hockey, I was playing beer league hockey like <laughs> four nights a week, right. you know? And then Rafi was born and that went down to zero, you know? Mm -hmm. And it has remained at zero basically, you know? I mean, I, I started playing again last winter but once like once a week right yeah. um, and my skills have really deteriorated <laughs> uh so it's this so on the one hand it's it's this revolution and you're like i am living this completely different life but on the other hand and now i am not just a guy who sits around drinks coffee and like writes his articles or books i'm dad right yeah. i'm data uh but you're still you yeah you actually have not been radically transformed and you won't be like you can't expect that. So that's, yeah, that's the, that's confusing. <laughs> and you guys, uh, I, I was kind of surprised by this because, you know, as you start to read a book by someone and it's, uh, if you get the audio book, it's also narrated by you. So you mm -hmm. get to hear the, uh, the individual speaking, you get this false sense of familiarity or, you know, uh, mm. closeness. 
Um, so I was kind of surprised to learn, uh, but it was also another connection to us personally. We didn't have a home birth, but my mother-in-law had all four of her children at home and uh, likes mm. to brag about it very often. Um, yeah, good for her. Yeah. So how, if, please explain to our audience, Ricky Lake's role in your decision to have a home birth. <laughs> do people know, do people still know who Ricky Lake is? Uh, you know, I, I'm hoping some of the new dad audience, <laughs> for, for those who don't, uh, she was a, a popular talk show host in the 90s, also an actress. Yeah, our journey included this, this movie that Ricky Lake had made about <laughs> how wonderful home birth was, um, and, but it was this like, you know, and, and she makes a really strong case in the movie about how terrible hospital birth is and how, you know, they have ceased, you know, they really kind of like all these interventions, you know, kind of eventually almost inevitably lead to a C-section mm-hmm. that you may not need. And the C-section rate is, it's like 30%. It's really crazy. Right. Um, and, you know, it should be, I don't know, 10%, 5%, I don't know, yeah. but it's, um, you know, and, and um, so she, that case is, is very strong in the movie, but then, um, you know, you're like, okay, they should stop doing that at hospitals, but that I don't draw the conclusion from that, that everybody should give birth at home. Right. Right? It just doesn't, it just doesn't logically follow. Um, I well, doesn't something you. happen in the documentary where, uh, like one of the people has to go into the hospital because yeah, there's the a director, the director. So Ricky Lake is, so the, it's a documentary. So it's, it's, you know, there's all these kind of information and, and, you know, experts, but also Ricky Lake herself is pregnant. And at the end of the movie, she gives birth at home and it's beautiful, but the director is also pregnant and the director has to transfer to the hospital um, and for a C-section. And uh, because uh, I think her baby is, is in breach position, as I recall, mm-hmm. um, which is, means it's turned the wrong way and there's kind of no way to, to, to turn the baby around so you gotta mm-hmm. you gotta uh, do surgery and um and in the movie and like you're like oh uh, gosh um if they couldn't do the c-section she might have died and the baby might have died you know and uh in the movie you're, it's kind of you know <laughs> oh she didn't get to have a, a, a home birth and you're like oh man like that's that's not to me that's not the lesson of that situation yeah. the lesson is Oh, thank God she was able to go to the hospital. You know, um, right? The baby's the baby's healthy, and what they were able to save. Yeah, and then and then we had this kind of amazing to me. Um, you know, we 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 then sort of interviewed some some uh, midwives, and one of them, the first one, she was very nice, but then at the end, she says, "You know, if something happens, something goes wrong." You know, and Emily's like, I don't know, three, four months pregnant, five months pregnant. Um, we're, we're terrified. We don't know what we're doing. Right. We've never been through this before. And the midwife says, if something goes wrong, will you remain advocates of home birth? And it was just the craziest. I was like, if why? Like if our baby dies, like, are we like, are we going to, I mean, I don't, and we were like, that's what's important right now. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't seem like the main thing. (laughs) Um, And it was just so, it was just such a crazy thing to say. And we were like, whoa. And um. And that really, like, I was like, wow, that this person has an ideological commitment to this thing, and I'm not sure I want to work with them, you know, on this on yeah. this thing that I've never done before. That's very dangerous and enormous red flag. Yeah, and right. and then the next midwives, and then we did like we went to a birthing center and we, you know, watched their spiel, and then we met the midwives that, that we ended up um, um, hiring, um, Karen and Martine, and they were just it was such a different experience. They were like. 
the first, they basically, they weren't like, oh, home birth is so wonderful, where you become advocates of home birth. They were like, here's all the things that can go wrong. Yeah. And, you know, one, two, three, four, five. And here's what we would do in that situation. We'd go to the hospital. In, in this other situation, we'd boil some water. You know, and they, yeah. they, they had some real, they had a plan for everything. And that was their spiel. And they were like, basically, from I, it was the reverse of what, yes. um, from that previous midwife. And to me, it sounded like they were saying, if you only care about this, because you have this like naive notion about home birth, we actually don't want to work with you, you know? Totally. And, and I was like, yes, like, please, you know, and, yes. and they were amazing. And, and, and both times, like we had some, you know, uh, some small hiccups, but like, it, it was, it was a great, I mean, it was really a great experience and I'm so happy that we did it, but um, you know, if we'd had to go to the hospital, that would have been fine. You know, as long yeah. as, you know, in the end, like, you just want to get the baby out. <laughs> it, it's very yeah. similar to the process of becoming a foster parent because the classes that you take to do that, it's mm -hmm. it's all, I mean, at the beginning, they're trying to scare you. They're, they're saying like, hey, if you can't do X, Y, Z, you should not be a foster parent, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and it was crazy to see in those classes how quickly people were dropping out after those first mm -hmm. couple of weeks because, you know, it's like, hey, uh, do you think you could possibly hand a child that you've, grown this connection to back over to someone that you know has sexually assaulted them can you do that mm -hmm. if you can't do that you need to leave you know yeah. um so yeah. it's a you know we're they're kind of saying hey this, this this these are the dangers and if if you are only concerned with a home birth then we're probably not the right people to work with right yeah. Yeah. um yeah I, I found that very illuminating it was just like i was kind of you know going through it, it's not a it's not a work of fiction right but there's parts where i found myself as like gripped as it was as if it were where you know i'm like well what's going to happen with the midwives like are they going to go is gonna be, are they going to switch to hospital birth now or, or they're good i was so happy when you yeah. found the, the you know the midwives that you did um the, the other thing i just want to touch on uh you know so i think you hit it right with the, the most important chapter the chapter that was most surprising to me was the picture book chapter uh -huh. um, and, and we don't we don't have to cover it. We don't have to talk about this a lot. But uh, you talk about all all of Rafi's favorite books, and uh, you had done something I never considered, which is like exploring the lives of the authors of these books. And you found some pretty interesting information, and was illuminating to some of the work that you were reading, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was. I just, I, yeah, it had, it had not occurred to me either. And then I found this. Um, uh, this little dedication in one of the um, Eric Carle books, right? The yeah. Very Little Hungry Caterpillar, um, The Very Hungry, what's it called? The Very Hungry Caterpillar? Yeah. Very, yeah. Um, it, that's, it's not that one, it's another one. Anyway, but yeah, we, you know, um, Rafi loved these books when he was really little. And I, you know, so I'm reading it to him for the thousandth time. And I look, and there's this dedication to Herr Krause. Who allowed me to watch? Who allowed me to see or introduced me to modern art, even when it was forbidden? And I was like, "What? Like, why is it forbidden? And like, yeah. why is he German? You know?" And, <laughs> and then I and then I looked it up, and it turns out Eric Carl was born in the U.S., but his parents were German emigres, and they went back to Germany in the 1930s to Nazi Germany, um, just like a verbal linguist. linguist. Yes, yeah. but the linguist was like, "I'm getting out of here. Okay? Yeah. Hildegard has learned German. I'm out." Yeah. Uh, but Eric Carl's parents stayed. And um, they went through the whole war in Germany, and and his dad uh, was was drafted into the army, fought on the Eastern Front with the Soviets, which was like the most 
horrible front and uh, was taken prisoner, um, was forced, uh, you know, uh, the Soviets kept the German POWs for a few years afterward to right. help make them rebuild uh, the Soviet Union. So um, reparations, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of a form of reparations, yeah. And, um, you know, you actually see these buildings in, in uh, Moscow. People would be like, oh, yeah, that's built by German POWs. It's very well. It's, <laughs> they did a really good job. They're very, very conscientious. Um, and, yeah, and, and as he, he described his dad coming back like a shell of himself as a broken man. And um, Eric Carr himself, he, he didn't fight in the war. He was too, he was too young, but he, he was a teenager by the end. And he was kind of conscripted into a, a, like a labor battalion. He had to dig ditches um and that he was he was very traumatized by this uh, obviously and um and that kind of explained and i was like you know it explained two things i kind of i i didn't i don't love eric carl he's not my favorite like i think the picture's really pretty but like the like the the, the text is not that great um and and it's like very like it's a little cutesy and i was like oh you know he because some because like the interesting things about like the really great you know picture book authors is you know like Morris Sendak <laughs> right um I'm blanking on the name as usual but the, the guy wrote Moon Man um um uh, Seuss to an extent you know Margaret Wise Brown is my favorite Good Night <laughs> Runaway Bunny I mean there's kind of a there's a kind of a darkness so certainly Runaway Bunny there's a kind of real madness at the center of that book and yeah anyway so like so so where the wild things are i think is one you mentioned yeah oh yeah um you know that book is scary but also not but nice um (laughs) some of his other stuff like just flat out scary (laughs) uh outside over here outside over there is kind of where the uh, goblins kidnap a baby that's just a scary book um (laughs) but uh yeah so i was like oh and i so to me carl kind of was like a, a rung below um those authors and then I was like oh it's because he was like he didn't want to have this kind of darkness yeah. in his books because he kind of lived through this the trauma of war yeah. yeah and then so that kind of I was like oh that's so interesting what about some of these other guys um and you know it, it was the Russian I mean there used to be there's this guy named Garnier Chukovsky who's kind of the greatest Russian children's writer he's kind of like Seuss he's, he's similar to Seuss and um a similar uh, generation, actually, um, but he had a fascinating biography. He kept this amazing diary. Um, you know, he was from the revolutionary period. You know, after 1917, the 1920s, 1930s, he lived a very long time. So his diary is this kind of amazing document of Soviet literary life. Um, there used to be a much much longer section in that <laughs> essay about Chukovsky. I got it down to like a paragraph. Um, but yeah, I mean, they just, you know, some of them had really interesting lives. And then actually the one, um, for some reason, the one that really um, kind of stuck in my craw was the story of Russell Hoban, who um, wrote the Francis books. Do you know those books? I don't, I, I think I read, I would think I was read them as, are they older books? They're older books. They're from the yeah. 60s. Yeah, okay. they're not as, um I mean, they're still in print, and yeah. I just there's they are some of my favorite books. Uh, uh, Bedtime for Francis. It's about a girl who you know keeps delaying her bedtime. It's it's amazing book. And I uh, think my parents read me that. Yeah, I, my wife's parents had read her to them, and then we got them too. And yeah, I mean, they're they're really in my in my top five um, of books. And 
and Francis uh, Bread and Jam for Francis is this great book. And and the, the notable thing is about the, the thing about those books is that um, the parents are really involved and they're like really they have these kind of brilliant parenting solutions and it's you know and they're from the early sixties so they, right. they feel very like they feel kind of nineteen fifties era family but like the idea like the a family that has like creative solutions for their kids problems like yeah you know francis only wants to eat you know doesn't want to eat anything except bread and jam so they start giving her bread and jam for every meal and finally <laughs> finally she's like ah oh, i'm so I'll sick of bread and jam yeah i'm so sick of bread and jam <laughs> I, I she's crying she says i want spaghetti and meatballs and her mother <laughs> says i had no idea you like spaghetti and meatballs <laughs> and it's this triumphant you know, we say that all the time when one of our kids finally agrees to eat something. We say, I have no idea. <laughs> um, you, you liked, you know, this bland rice that yeah. we made specially for you. <laughs> but um, yeah, and so, but, but, oh, but it, so it turned out Hoban, he had four children. Um, he, he collaborated with his wife on these Francis books. She was the illustrator, he was the writer. Um, they had this wonderful marriage and then he has a midlife crisis has an affair leaves her for another woman abandons the family <laughs> and uh st- you know stops writing uh children's books starts writing uh grown-up books and i i, I felt so betrayed by this you know <laughs> and other other people who've read that they're like what are, what's your problem like why are you like he let him live his life you know yeah. <laughs> and i was i was like no he wrote the francis books yeah. like he, he betrayed me <laughs> yeah he, i I believed in him as this yeah. father who stayed with his family. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I thought that was a um, an interesting story about you know, and it took me it took me a while to get over the betrayal um, of, of uh, you know um, oh, by Russell Hoban, but but uh, now I I, I feel okay. There's another anecdote. I don't think it was in the picture book portion, but you talk about a poem by Harms, the man who disappeared, mm-hmm. and it was a. Uh, um, I think you guys, it was basically saved in the posterity because it was put into a little song, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think the, the anecdote in your book is that it was like a, a heartwarming moment when Rafi starts singing it back, right? Yes, it's, that's in the Russian chapter, but it like, it, it was, yeah, it was his favorite. It's this, um, it's this poem, it starts, Is Doma Vushul Chilevyuk. A man yeah. leaves his house with a walking stick and a sack and on he goes and on he goes. He never does look back. I think that's what it is. Um, and, he, and he disappears into the woods. And and Harms wrote this in 1937. Um, and actually, so it was like, I think he just, and he was kind of this genius, eccentric genius. And he, he wasn't like trying to um, make a commentary on the purges, but the, pur- the Stalinist purges were happening right then. And right. it was kind of hard to read as anything but you know, people were disappearing into the woods, like yeah. they were disappearing and you never saw them again. And uh, this was a, a poem about a guy who disappears, you never see him again. And um, he stopped being published after that and um, and basically began to starve. Um, and, he, and he wrote this amazing poem about that. So it was like, to me, it was like this, you know, and and, and yeah, and it's in this Alexander Galich song um, about Harms. Um, and Harms eventually was arrested and, and eventually starved to death um, in a Soviet prison um during the war and so it had this like it was this like poem with this like incredibly dark history but you read it and it's like this very charming little poem about a guy <laughs> who goes on a, on a walk and Rafi loved it and I would and I would just kind of it was just I felt you know this kind of cognitive dissonance of of being very charmed by this two-year-old and being delighted that he likes this Russian poem but also being uh aware of of its the, history and, yeah, and, and its feeling meaning. yeah um 
yeah and just feeling like oh my oh my god like what if Rafi goes to Russia (laughs) (laughs) well I I related to it not not because of the content or the um, significance of the piece but um, you know there was a a yeah 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 song that I sang to both my boys uh, (laughs) turn into and you know I remember um, back when the the first time Shep you know, as we would go through lullabies, he would want me to sing that song and he would sing a little bit of it back, uh, the pride that welled up. And just recently, uh, <laughs> yeah. our youngest Solomon started doing the same thing where it's, you know, he's singing it back and it's like, you know what, he's he's singing the right tune. He's in melody, mm-hmm. right? And you're like, this very proud moment. Like, oh, you're, you're you, not only are you listening, but you like what I like. Um, yeah, know, it's a very you proud. Can, maybe you can take over the pod. Uh, hopefully someday yeah that would be that would be ideal and well and you're talking about the francis books again i wonder uh, and i know in the book you talk about you know the screen time as being kind of a a point of contention between you and your wife uh, you know at one point and uh you know during the pandemic especially when you guys might have had uh corona being exposed to a lot of uh wild crats and you know so i recognize some of those shows do you guys watch bluey because that's what it, it kind of sounds like uh the francis books are very similar to bluey oh i no, i don't think we went through a oh you got you got to check out bluey okay okay <laughs> if, if you like creative parenting uh and you're just looking for a new show just something it's in, and this is I, by no means a, a hot take or a unique take anymore. I will will say if you go back to one of the uh, episodes in uh, episode one of New Dad, I was very early on this show. I do want to, I kind of want to pat myself on the back for that. But it's, I think uh, I'm, my kids consume a lot of children programming and I think it's the best out there. So okay. right. yeah, we'll for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I don't want to take up a, a lot more of your time. Tell everyone where they can get uh raising raffi uh you know where you can find that oh uh you could find it at, at uh, i hope at your local bookstore mm-hmm. um Raffi, it's on audible R-A-F-F-I. that's what I, I, yes I found, yeah i did find it on audible so yep. go, you can get it there amazon i'm sure as well yep and uh or, or uh, bookshop.org or, or your or your local store wherever does emily bo- does emily's books carry it emily books it does not no no those, no. those books are only by women so okay well, uh, um yeah the Christopher Columbus of mommy blogging. That's right. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you very much, Keith. Uh, I've, I've loved this conversation. Uh, it's been, it's been a lot of fun for me, hopefully for you too. Um, yes. Everyone go out by raising Rafi. Um, I, again, I, I can't say enough about it. I've uh, really connected a lot with it. And uh, I think it's, you know, I, I don't want to say this cause it sounds cliche, but you know, like for one of the first times reading a parenting book, I was, I found myself like, yet like yet somebody actually understands me you know for the first time um so you know even if, if you if your wife gave you a little shit for being the christopher columbus of mobby blogging i i am thankful for it uh, you've uh, you've helped at least one dad out there for sure and i think uh, you. you're probably going to be hearing from a lot of other dads that you helped here i hope so i, I, I think so i think so and uh best of luck to rafi and uh you know uh to his hot budding hockey career <laughs> Let's hope. And, <laughs> I'm, not uh, I'm not giving up. You're not giving up. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Keith, so much. Uh, we will be back next week with a new guest and a new topic. Um, I want to, again, thank our Patreons. And if you are listening to this, uh, please give us a review, uh, a like if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, subscribe, and leave comments below. Uh, it always helps. So thank you, Rob Cause. Take us away. <laughs>